Nearly three-quarters of medical school graduates have educational debt, and the average debt related to medical education alone was more than $167,000 among last year's graduates. Along with need-based scholarships, some medical schools offer merit-based aid to help offset the cost of medical education. But such awards may result in less funding for students with fewer resources. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Roy Ziegelstein, a professor of medicine and vice dean for education at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Dr. Ziegelstein has co-authored a perspective article about the potential downsides of awarding merit-based aid. Dr. Ziegelstein, you write in your article that merit-based scholarships may cover not only tuition, but the full cost of attendance, room and board, books and supplies, other expenses, for all four years. So which medical schools tend to offer this merit-based aid? Is it only the highest-ranked ones, or is it pretty common across the board? Well, the truth of the matter is that we really don't know. There are no statistics that I'm aware of, and I have not seen publicly reported statistics on which schools offer it and which schools don't. What I do know is that when we poll our applicants, about 70% of our applicants report that they have received merit aid offers from one or more of the schools that they've applied to. So one of the things that I think would be very helpful and that perhaps should be a new metric would be what number of schools and which schools actually do offer merit aid. So at least the public can judge. You write in your article that the average cost of attending medical school is now about $250,000 for in-state graduates and more than 300000 for out-of-state graduates. Has the amount of scholarship money increased with the cost of medical education? How are schools helping to defray the increases? So I think that, again, even some of the data there are lacking, but almost all schools in the country are very committed to raising money, often from philanthropy, to support scholarship aid for their students, particularly in recognition of the rising cost of medical school and also a commitment on the part of many medical schools to diversify the student population as part of their responsibility to the citizens of the United States to have a socioeconomically and otherwise diverse student body to take care of patients once they graduate. So in regard to philanthropy, we saw just recently a donation of $250 million to Columbia. Is that kind of gift becoming more common? So I think that gifts of that magnitude are becoming more common to medical schools, I think in part in recognition that medical schools will be good stewards of the gift and use the gift in a variety of different ways to benefit society. Some of that money may be used for scholarships to encourage a more diverse student population. Others might be used to facilitate groundbreaking research and so on and so forth. Thankfully, I do think that philanthropy is a common means now for medical schools to defray the cost of a variety of different aspects of their mission. And looking at things from the point of view of the students, what do we know about students who graduate with high levels of debt? What does that mean in terms of the specialty they choose, where they practice, how long it takes to pay off the loans? Yeah, so I think there's actually an earlier question, which is, What do we know about the effect of debt on who can even apply to medical school? So I will answer the question for sure about what rising debt does to our students. But I think an even more important question for society is, what does it do to deter potential applicants 
from attending medical school. I think that's a significant issue. If you think about it, if you look at the country's medical students, somewhere between 45 to 60 percent of medical students in this country come from families whose incomes are in the upper quintile. I mean, that's quite an amazing statistic. And only a handful of a percentage of students that attend medical school in this country come from families whose incomes are in the lowest quintile. So already there is a significant deterrent for some students to even attend school. And remember that once students finish school, it actually can be very difficult for them to pay back their loans. There's a period of time after medical school and residency where the income is not very high. And a lot of doctors don't really even begin to earn significant wages until their 30s. In terms of what it does to our students, we know a number of things. First, we know that more than one in five graduates of medical schools in this country today report that the debt that they have, the medical education debt, has a moderate to strong influence on their specialty choice, meaning that they may choose not to enter a specialty that is not as high-paying as another And that may be particularly the very kinds of specialties that our country needs, that is, primary care physicians and geriatricians as our country ages. The other thing that we know is that rising debt contributes to burnout, emotional exhaustion, and lower quality of life among our students and residents. And that's a very important thing to consider because that will, of course, affect their job performance as well as their job satisfaction. You and your colleagues proposed to U.S. News & World Report that it add the percentage of a school's total scholarship funding that's committed to need-based aid to its annual medical school ratings. Did you get a response? Yes, in fact, U.S. News & World Report thought that that was a compelling argument for them, namely that as they're considering how to rank medical schools and potentially incorporating one aspect of a medical school's responsibility to the public trust to train a socioeconomically and otherwise diverse student population, they have now incorporated on the most recent iteration of U.S. News & World Report ranking a question that specifically asks schools to indicate the percentage of funds that are available for grants and scholarships to MD-only students that are used exclusively for need-based aid. So that will, I think, at least get one metric on the U.S. News & World Report related to need-based versus merit-based aid. Has there been any discussion about banning merit-based aid entirely among medical schools, or is that not a realistic possibility? I have not heard a discussion about banning merit-based aid. I think that what I and my co-authors call for in the New England Journal of Medicine is more study about the effects of merit-based aid. I think that, you know, we're all medical doctors and or scientists, and I think we respond well to data rather than to just generalizations. And I think what we want to know is whether some of the things that we suppose are true in terms of the amount of merit aid that's being offered, again, as you asked earlier, um, what schools or how many schools offer merit aid, I think we need to know that. I think we need to know, is that merit aid being drawn away from the pool that is available for need-based aid? It certainly seems so based on some information that we can gather from the graduation questionnaire that's administered to all graduating medical students in this country. But 
we don't really know for sure. And we also get this signal that you asked about before that student debt does influence their practice. But having more information about how serious an effect that has, I think, would be very helpful in making an argument for whether merit aid should, in fact, be banned. It's also possible that there are advantages to merit aid that we haven't considered beyond, of course, the obvious of drawing highly qualified students to certain medical schools. But I think that if, in fact, merit aid is drawing away from need-based aid, this is doing a tremendous disservice to our country, a tremendous disservice to our patients, and really might make a strong argument in the future for banning merit aid. Thank you, Dr. Ziegelstein.